Amen. You have a seat. My name is Jacob Warren. If you're new to Veritas Church, I serve as one of the pastors here at Veritas. And uh, if you're new to Veritas, I'd love to meet you along with some of the other pastors, maybe get to know them. Uh, we were able to install three new elders this past week. And uh, yeah, we can celebrate that. Um, but then also we are launching again this week a pastoral preparation cohort to raise up other men within the church. Some of these guys are very new to even following Jesus, and we want to equip you for ministry in this church. We want to see you grow into your giftings as both men and women in the church uh, in varying capacities in the ways that God has called us as a body of Christ. But we really do believe that this is a, a family, this body of believers that gathers here on a Sunday morning like this for worship, for word, for encouraging one another, and to stir one another up to love and good work. So if you're new here to Veritas, no, we want to welcome you into this church family. We want to welcome you into the life of this church. And so um, maybe a pragmatic, just easy way to do that is just have a conversation with someone after the gathering, maybe meet somebody new, maybe fill out that connect card you got on the way in if you're new. Maybe there's a little handout that you got that says new here, that gives you just a broad brushstroke to who we are and what we do. Give that thing a read. And then uh, reach out to us, let us know how we can love and serve you and welcome you into this church family. Um, yesterday, uh, I was able to gather with a number of folks over at the building that we have just recently purchased. Obviously, we don't own this. This is FCA's. We have to set up and tear down here on a Sunday morning. And uh, man, they were in there getting after it yesterday uh, morning. There was a group of a uh, small number of folks, but they just did more than the sum of their parts. I mean, they were like, uh, there's a a bar area that we were having to take out of this like previous uh, like event space, and so that means we can have nitro communion once we get in there, right? Uh, communion on tap for everybody uh, as you come in. You know, you get your little sh shot. Um, but yeah, they've got the system in there. We had to take out like a ticket booth, and I just thought about like how representative it is that like we're not going to be like selling tickets to come to Veritas on a Sunday, but rather opening those doors to welcome all who would come to this place to feast on the meal that's free in Christ for all of us, his body, his blood. And that's how what we are to proclaim to the world, that there's good news in the name of Jesus. And we're knocking that thing out. Uh, there's a rickety old stage in there that literally like they cut pieces off of it to like get it out of the way and then go stage it for um, uh, like throwing it away later. And there's pillars underneath the stage that were like falling over underneath it. Like, quite literally, the thing, just imagine if this thing right here, like, started leaning one direction this morning. It would be bad news for everybody in here. But just, like, building on a, a shaky foundation, what we're going to want to do in that space is build on the foundation that is Christ. That in all things, as we come together as the church, all things would point to the fame of Jesus. And that we wouldn't build in such a way that like, even in our trying to get the name of Jesus out there, we'd build on a shaky foundation where things would be really falling over underneath us in our trying to seek to advance the gospel out there somewhere. No, we want to build on the rock the foundation that is Christ himself. So that has nothing to do with what we're going to do this morning as kind of an aside, but I just thought it would be helpful for you to kind of know some of the things going on in the church and um, what we're going to do this morning is continue in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and, and move into this conversation about spiritual gifts. And I know that for some of you, uh, that's already making you feel a little itchy. Just even mentioning spiritual gifts, you're like, oh my gosh, I knew I should have gone to the beach this weekend. Um, I, I knew I should have just skipped out. I should have watched online or something like that. But no, it's good. The Corinthian church was kind of a circus 
and Paul is going to speak order into this chaos. We saw for the past couple weeks his correction for the roles of men and women and how those things shouldn't get muddy and we shouldn't like try to display our femininity or our masculinity as men and women in the church in a way that unnecessarily distracts from what's happening in gathered worship. No, we were made men and women, and it's good and right in the eyes of God. It should be celebrated. And so we shouldn't uh, blur the distinctions of men and women. And then last week, we saw that like uh, this pulse concern for communion and how it was taking place in their gatherings. They didn't have nitro communion to, to worry about. They had people uh, being left out of the communion meal or getting drunk on communion wine. And so for those of us that kind of grew up in, as Baptist in here, don't have to worry. All we got is Welch's up here at, at the front on the tables and at the back, right? There's no chance of getting drunk on this communion this morning. But the real problem isn't whether they dipped or sipped or took every week or every quarter. The real problem was their unrepentant hearts. The, the church at Corinth had unrepentant hearts, and they were drinking judgment on themselves. So that's the word that Paul gave last week, and we're going to pick up this uh, where Paul's at in chapter 12, and I want to give this disclaimer out front before we read the first 11 verses of chapter 12 together. Here we believe at Veritas that partners, covenant partners here that make up this body of Christ, this local expression of the church, can have difference of opinion on, on what's, uh, what we would call either the sign gifts or maybe your position on being a cessationist or continuationist here, if you don't know what those terms mean. Continuationist means that these, the perpetuation of these sign gifts, the more miraculous gifts of speaking in tongues and healing, do they keep, have they, do they are still in operation? Or you can disagree with that position and say that these gifts have ceased. We not only believe that those two opinions can coexist in the same space, but they have been coexisting in the same spaces in Jesus' church almost since the very beginning of the church. And so we here need to see that all spiritual gifts, that I would say all followers of Jesus, we can agree that all followers of Jesus have had their eyes opened by Jesus, by the Spirit of God. So we are all a product of the Spirit, but then also we are all individually gifted by the Spirit of God. And that's Paul's point in all of this. These Differences on tertiary issues, these secondary issues, these are not primary issues of the faith. Paul wants us to see this morning that God graciously gives spiritual gifts to all followers of Jesus to build up his church. So in light of that, let's take a look at this text together this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. Hear the word of the Lord to us this morning. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers... And sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit an utterance of wisdom, 
to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. Verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Before we continue, let's go to the Lord in prayer again. Lord Jesus, I pray that as we give ourselves over to the thinking and preaching of your word in this passage in 1 Corinthians, God, may we, may we all here be quick to put ourselves up under the authority of your scriptures that we might be see the differences that exist within this body, the differences of gift, the differences of calling, the difference of vocation, the difference of background. God, the overwhelming unity that you bring through yourself. You've not just won us individually to yourself, but you have won us as a collective, as your bride to yourself. You've won us as a body with many members. But yes, Jesus, I pray that this morning we would be united by this word that you bring through the Apostle Paul. Alive in our hearts again by the power of your Holy Spirit and empower us to be able to ponder these things together. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We'll take this text together in uh, three main sections, and they'll come up on the screen for us. First, we will focus on verses 1 through 3, the focus of the spiritual gifts. Two, the purpose of the spiritual gifts. And three, a sampling of the spiritual gifts. See, um, I, I grew up in a uh, denomination is vastly different uh, than maybe some of what you experienced in the church. And all of us are coming to the topic of spiritual gifts with a little bit of baggage. All of us have our, our, our biases when it comes to these types of things or even conversations about them. And, you know, you can feel a little tension in the room and when you even bring these things up, it's like, oh, does that mean we're about to get weird? Does that mean that like things are about to get out of control? You know, does that mean like the 90s are going to revive back up again and, you know, the, the gifts are going to start and the tongues are going to start cranking out again like they were. I grew up in a uh, denomination, and uh, it sounded a little bit like alphabet soup. There were so many different pieces. You know, they went to the theological buffet and got everything, you know. And uh, within that denomination, when I was young, I remember the operation of some of these sign gifts taking place in, in the church. And some of those experiences were really good, and some of those experiences were really bad. And I think what Paul is trying to do in the Corinthian church is correct here. He's trying to bring order. He's trying to unite the church in unity when it comes to these things called the spiritual gifts. Because all over the New Testament, when it's, these, these gifts are named or lists are given out and these gifts, all of these li lists are different than one another. None of these lists are definitive. Now, a lot of the same stuff kind of pops up in, in multiple of these lists, but the point of the gifts, the focus of the spiritual gifts, must be primary in our minds. The question of what are these gifts all about? And then Paul's going to go into what are these gifts are for? And then the first thing, though, is the focus of the spiritual gifts is always and forever to make much of Jesus. 
If it's not making much of Jesus, it's not in accordance with God. It's not in accordance with what he said in his word. And so Paul starts in verses 1 through 3 saying that concerning these spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. And then he reminds them of their pagan past. These were Gentile Christians he was writing to. These were primarily not Jewish followers of Jesus that had a, a history in Judaism. These were pagans. And it says that they were led astray. I think he uses that language uh, to convey like, like a shepherd would lead sheep. They were led astray by these other things, what he calls the mute idols, in contrast to what Paul has done. Paul has led them to the truth of God that is in Christ himself. And that's, that's the role of a shepherd. It's the role of a shepherd to lead the sheep to green pastures. It's the, the role of a shepherd to lead the sheep in a way that's going to bring them flourishing in life. And that's what Paul has done for this Corinthian church. But they've previously been led astray, and he doesn't say this to shame them, but to mute idols. And I kind of love this. And if you go back and uh, read passages of the Old Testament, particularly the prophet Isaiah, uh, there's these particularly really funny, like, roast sections that, uh, where, uh, uh, you know, the Old Testament prophets would just put um, one of the, uh, the, the, the idols or the other gods that were worshipped at the time and just absolutely roast them. I don't know if you've ever seen a roast before, but they basically take uh, the object of, of uh, attention, they put it up at the front, and they just make as much fun of it as they possibly can. There's a story in Isaiah where uh, this guy goes out into the woods, and he uh, chops down this tree, and he takes one half of the tree, and he says, I'm going to make my fire out of this, uh, this, this here wood, and I'm going to cook my food over it keep myself warm. It's going to provide for me. And he takes the other half of the tree and he carves an idol out of it. And then he bows down and worships that part of the tree. And you can just see how silly this is uh, from the beginning of it, because it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that the idol that he just made and the fire that he just made are of equal value. Which one's worthy of worship here? <laughs> Neither. It's not the, the, the wood that's to be worshipped. It's not the fire that's to be worshipped. It's the God who provides the fire. It's the God who made the tree that is to be worshipped. Worthless, mute idols. I mean, just go read the Old Testament and just have a blast of making fun of how stupid the idols of this world uh, are, of sex and money. And when the good things go bad, they turn into bad things. It's good for us to realize how worthless idols are. This understanding of true and false worship is the true kind of worship test that Paul wants us to see here. And he provides very two very distinct caveats. Verse 3, I understand that you want I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So Paul's saying here is speaking in the spirit of God, you cannot speak in the spirit of God and you cannot proclaim the lordship of Jesus without the Spirit. And this is fundamental to our understanding of what our faith is all about. Remember Peter's confession to, before our Savior, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah. And Jesus turns to Peter and said, upon this rock, upon this truth, I'm going to build my church. This is what the church is all about, this confession of faith in Jesus as the Messiah. Like we'll see later. Confessing Jesus as Lord 
seems to be what Paul is getting at is the miraculous work above all the other flashier expressions of spiritual gifts. That actually spiritual gifts don't really matter unless your affections are set on Jesus in the first place. They're not coming from a place of being rooted in the God that you're claiming to worship. Gifts pursued in and of themselves might lead you to these mute idols, being led astray. But in Christ, rooted and founded in Him, you can worship your God in a more beautiful, authentic way that builds up the church through these gifts. See, Paul makes it clear, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Spirit. See, we confess and believe here. It is the Holy Spirit that opens our eyes to faith. It is the Holy Spirit as well that brings about these gifts in the life of each follower of Jesus. And Paul says it's incomprehensible that someone would curse the name of Jesus while claiming to worship Jesus. I want to clear something up here that might be coming to mind for you. Is what do you do with doubts here? What do you do with those seasons of dryness? What do you do with times where it feels like God is against me? Again, I think the Bible has answers to that, really clear ones, because if you go read the Psalms, how many of the Psalms begin in a place of, well, God, where are you? Like, what are you doing? Why do I feel so alone? Why do I feel so in, just incapable of finding real life? And good? I thought you were the good shepherd. But again, what Paul's doing here is saying that, yes, of course, we all go through hard times that make us doubt God's goodness. What Paul's emphatically saying is that you cannot be a follower of Jesus and trash the name of Jesus in unrepentant sin. You cannot do it because God is sovereign over our salvation. One cannot bless the name of Jesus and to submit to his lordship without having first having his eyes opened by the same Holy Spirit that indwells him. All believers are empowered with gifts of grace to build up the church. And it leads us to verses 4 through 7, the purpose of these spiritual gifts. What is the purpose of these spiritual gifts? To build up Jesus' church. Let's read these verses again, verses 4 through 7. See the beauty here. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. See, that word for there is really important. It tells us exactly what these spiritual gifts are for, and they are for the building up of Jesus' church. But also, too, did you notice the, the parallelism there? Did you notice the repetition in this passage that Paul just kind of it flows out effortlessly out of him? And this will come up on the, on the screen because I just want us to see the beauty here. That there's this different distribution of what I'll call these grace gifts, these gifts of grace to the church, all these spiritual gifts, but the one same Spirit. And that Spirit empowers them. There's, there's different distribution of services, but it's the same Lord who is displayed by them. There's this different distribution of workings, but it's the same God, God the Father, who works all things according to His will. Follower of Jesus in this room, God is not divided in and of Himself. The Holy Spirit isn't something that we should just give our attention to some of the time 
or only overemphasize in a limited amount of time when we're preaching through 1 Corinthians because that's the only time we need to talk about for Holy Spirit. No. God, in His beauty, simply, it simply said that, like this, that he, is in, he works in ways that are inseparable operations from one another. That in the Godhead, because God is one, God the Father cannot work without God the Son. God the Spirit cannot give gifts without God the Father willing and working through them. Though three persons, God is not in conflict with Himself ever. God is one, and in Him there's no shadow. There's no variation due to change. Understanding God in this light shows His beauty and His glory, and it also gives purpose to what these gifts are to do and what they are to be for in our lives, these gifts are for the glory of Christ. These gifts are for seeing God at work in all things, and these gifts are for the building up of His church. So that begs the question, well then what are all of these gifts? What are all of these grace gifts? And I've already mentioned this, but this is not an exhaustive list. We'll see here in a moment that Paul's building a case here, and he has that particular agenda in mind. He's got a problem child gift among all the other ones that he really wants to talk about a lot. And we'll see over the next couple of weeks how it just comes up again and again and again, all this corrective work. But verse 7, these workings of God, if what they're for, to each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, it's the building up of the church. Now, maybe you're new to following Jesus and maybe you're new to like coming back to the church, maybe after a long time. And maybe you're asking the question, well, what even is a church? Maybe church for you is just like the thing you did on Sunday with your family. There's a potluck afterwards. Or maybe the thing that you did like maybe twice a year and your parents felt really guilty about it going on like Christmas and Easter or something like that. See, the church is the body of Christ made up of his followers and that means all believers for all time, all over the world, make up this body. That's what we would call the church universal. But we should also make a distinction between that universal church and the individual local churches. Churches like this one, like Veritas Church, South U Baptist right down the road, Rockfish on the other side of town, all these other churches that meet all over Fayetteville that are individual churches here, local churches. So what does Paul have in mind here about these usages of the gifts? Are they primarily for the local church? Or are they for the, the global church, the universal church? I think that we need to see Paul is writing to a local church. He's, looking, he's writing to a local congregation that has real problems with what's going on in their gatherings. The, the gifts are for this place with these people. And that means all of us should care about what spiritual gifts are because it's kind of like a belly button. Whether you got one, know you got one or not, you've got a belly button, right? You've, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have been gifted by the Spirit of God to serve and to operate within this church and to take ownership and to use your giftings for the upbuilding of others here in a way that's unique, that God has sovereignly ordained because He's given gifts to build up the church and point them to Jesus. And I want to address something in the room too. Uh, I know that Many of us have had experiences, in particular with spiritual gifts, in seeing them used wrongly. And I want to say I'm sorry, because I think in many ways, 
uh, no matter where you're coming from this, uh, with spiritual gifts, your opinions on sign gifts or whatever, in a reaction against seeing something used wrongly, we tend to run from anything that smells like that. Now, just to tell you, the Bible's been taught wrongly a whole bunch. And we don't throw out the Bible. We don't throw out preaching. Like, just because something has been taught or operated with wrongly does not mean we abandon it or run from those things. See, we're called to redeem those things. We're to be called ministers of reconciliation. We are to build one another up in love. And it's in that light that Paul shifts his focus into giving a list of spiritual gifts in order to address the big problem child in the room. So let's look at this sampling of spiritual gifts in verses 8 through 11. They'll come up on the screen. And what I'm going to do is kind of give an overview of all these things, because that's all what Paul has really in mind on this. He wants you to be informed here. But it doesn't mean he's going to be exhaustive about the list of spiritual gifts right now. So if it feels like I'm skimming over the surface, I kind of am. And that's okay. You're going to get a whole bunch of this. You're going to get weeks of this stuff. Get ready. You just buckle up for chapter 14. It's going to get wild. But it's not going to get weird, because that's not the way it works. So sampling of spiritual gifts, 8 through 10. First, we have this utterance of wisdom. Let's give you a quick kind of personal definition of these things. This God-given gift to discern and provide wise counsel from one believer to another. Like in, in all cases where there's matters that seem like there's, it's not always black and white. It's not like the Bible addresses smartphones in particular and what to do with them, whether or not you should have one, right? So you've got to bring wisdom into that. And it seems like the, uh, there's gifts that are given to some individuals to be able to discern those matters in ways that are a unique gift from God. Also, this utterance of knowledge, this gift, God-given gift to receive and speak a supernatural word from one believer to another. And I believe this happens in broad context and very specific context. I've had people walk up to me and give me like a reference of Scripture that I needed right then, in that moment, and they had no idea how significant it was to me. They had no idea what happened to me that week and how it spoke specifically to that matter in particular. Like, this happens within the church, and most of the time, it just looks like encouragement, okay? But I want you to see, at the end of verse 8, it's the same spirit, this point of unity here. It's the same spirit that enables both of these. Verse 9, faith. I think Paul mentioning this here doesn't mean a general faith that's given to all of us in in our faith in Jesus. I think he's going to mention this as a spiritual gift. This is a kind of supernatural gift for the moment of faith, that for a particular instance or for a specific purpose. Think about people that have been gifted at a particular time for faith for something to happen. Faith for a particular thing to come to fruition that God has promised in his word. Whether that's the return of Christ and like hoping in that, or it's something very specific like, God, please help me find the remote. You know, like just, I got faith for finding the remote right now. And I don't want to downplay that particular gifting, but that's kind of the way it works out. But again, what, what, what does Paul in, in include there? It's the same spirit that unites the, these, this word of unity. Verse 9, healing. God-given gift of miraculous healing granted through the prayers of a believer. Some, sometimes this is literal physical healing that happens, that God brings. And what I don't mean here is that some people get special hats and they get to put on their healer hats and go around healing people. I think that Generally, these gifts of healing are specific instances of healing that God grants 
through the prayers of believers at a particular time and space. It's not a badge you get to wear and you know, put on and start walking around, well, I'm a healer. You know, that's my spiritual gift. Let me, let me show up to the hospital. No. It's not the way these gifts work. They're, they're to point to Jesus. Verse 10, miracles. This is the God-given gift of miraculous instances granted to the prayers of believer. Think of people that you've prayed with where this has literally happened. You've prayed with this over something together, and God just answered the prayer. God gave a miraculous gift of a miracle in that time. There's countless stories of literal resurrections happening around the world where someone prayed and someone that had died came back to life again. Yeah, they died again later because those gifts are always temporary in those times. It's gifts of healing, right? Like our, these physical bodies are going to degrade. It's not like we're just going to disappear like Enoch, right? Very small chance. Only like two guys in the whole Bible that, that happened to, right? Verse 10, prophecy. God-given gift of encouraging words, mainly through Scripture, from one believer to another, a person in person, or the entire congregation. We'll talk way more about prophecy and how that actually builds the church up and how we're doing it all the time. Verse 10, distinguishing the spirits. This God-given gift to discern true and false teaching. Like listening to a teaching or observing a spiritual practice and being able to discern the good from the bad, like the passage kind of began with this test of, okay, is this making much of Jesus? Is this proclaiming Jesus as Lord? Or is this actually antithetical to the gospel proclaiming that Jesus is accursed? As a very broad way that that works out. Then there's the problem child. In verse 10, Paul's real target. At the very end of the list, various kinds of tongues. And what we could mean by this is the God-given gift to speak languages unknown to the speaker. More on this later. Again, you're going to get weeks on this stuff. Because it's, it, it is, it, we've got to figure out what Paul means here. Is this literal language or some kind of heavenly language or some combination of both? But at least we know verse 10, interpretation language is, this is God-given gift to interpret the languages. It's pretty self-explanatory. See, apparently, in the church at Corinth, the reason why Paul makes this the last one he mentions in this listing of the gifts is because this was the problem child. They were taking this gift and elevating it higher than all the others and saying, well, these people are special. These are the oracles of God. These people have been, have a special anointing of something and like they should be held in honor above all the other gifts. And so all the Corinthians were looking up at these quote unquote holier folks with the gift of tongues it's, it's trying to say, like, okay, well, they're the, the people that we should aspire to be like. We should kind of forget about all the other ways, the more pragmatic, the normal ways that Jesus operates in his church. And let's look at these things that look more spiritual. They look more holy, and, or like they're things that we're attracted to. See, everywhere the, the list of gifts are given in the New Testament, these lists are very different. And let me give you a practical, silly example of the way this would work out. Just imagine, uh, like, the church at Corinth, they're obsessed with the tongues, right? You've all got that friend who's got a particular musical genre they're always trying to tell you about. Or maybe it's a particular thing that they've got going on in their life. Maybe they're an iPhone guy. Or maybe it's a music thing, right? And they're uh, super into this one type of uh, music, and I'll just call it, uh, as dumbly as I can, bro country, right? Bro country. Bro country, you've heard this before if you've ever had the radio on ever. It's a girl in my truck and a drink in my cup. All right, that's it. That's every song. It's all, that's the chorus of every song. 
It's annoying. And the reason why it's annoying is because if you're fixated on that one style of music and its expression, like you're missing out on everything else. You're missing out of all the different types of music. There's rock, there's hip-hop, blues, soul, jazz, orchestral, metal, so much more. And that's what Paul's doing here. He's saying to the Corinthians, you've got to broaden your categories on the way that the Spirit empowers you to build up the church. See, like tongues in this list is the least of all the gifts. And so, like tongues, bro country should be the least of all the musical genres and should only be listened to in private. So um, we'll see in 1 Corinthians 14 that tongues were huge here. And so in the same corrective vein, Paul's going to give one last definitive statement about all the gifts. Let's look again at verse 11. Verse 11, Paul says, all these are empowered, right? Even the gift of tongues, all empowered by the one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So, this is an emphatic reminder by Paul. All gifts are empowered by the one and same Spirit. And in this, Paul makes a distinction. There's this point of unity that gifts are given to every follower of Jesus, but also a point of diversity here. Not all followers have the same gift. See, we can't make the claim here at Veritas, right? The name of our church means truth. And so it's like, well, okay, maybe we'll just be the, uh, the words of wisdom and knowledge people, and that's all, we'll, we'll just major on those two, right? That's all we'll do here is just the words of wisdom and knowledge because we're truth people, right? And we despise all the other gifts. No, Paul says you can't do that. You can't just say that's the only areas we're going to operate in here. See, this point of unity is that gifts are given to every follower of Jesus. So if you are, if you've been made new by Jesus, if you've had your eyes opened by the power of the Holy Spirit to believe in Jesus as Lord, that you're crucified, a Savior that bore your sins on the cross for you, you've been empowered by that same Spirit to operate within your giftings right here in this local church. And also, too, not all followers are going to have the same gift. It means we're going to need to have places where we should be seeking to grow in our own lives that Paul is also going to say that in other places you should strive to pursue the higher gifts, which assumes your gifts aren't static. Like, you should seek to, to get better, to grow in your giftings. See, when I was a kid, I was given a guitar uh, when I was somewhere in middle school, right? And it just kind of sat on a stand for a long time, and my parents uh, tried to get me to go to guitar lessons, and that was the worst, and I hated that. It was terrible. But the only reason I did it is because I was given the promise that if I got better and better over time, that I could get myself an electric guitar. And the story's pretty funny because I finally uh, get the electric guitar, get the amplifier, whatever, and I don't touch the thing because I was pretty much uh, more convinced at that point that I like acoustic guitar more than I like uh, electric guitar, right? But very much like God can give us gifts unless we practice those gifts, unless we seek to grow in our giftings, we'll never be able to play coherent songs. We'll, we'll never be able to have uh, anyone's experience of our giftings be any other than just noise. So we should seek to grow in our giftings individually within the church. See, I want us to see that Paul's specific word to the Corinthians here is much more relevant than we'd ever dare think it'd be 
to our local congregation. Because Paul isn't just speaking to the Corinthians here. Yes, he is in specificity. But God, the power of his spirit is speaking to us through these words, seeking, speaking to us to correct our behavior in the church. And so I want to close with three few questions, uh, just a few questions to pray and ponder over this week, or maybe even process today, and invite you to write these down. They'll come up on the screen. First, what spiritual gifts do you hold in highest and lowest regard? Does that accord with Scripture? I think it'd be helpful for us to do an inventory of our own selves and say, like, where are our biases? Where is our bias in the topic of spiritual gifts? What gifts do we despise? What gifts do we say, well, they should have no place in the life of a believer because I've never experienced that before. I've never had an experience like that before. Now, I'm not saying abandon order. I'm not saying take your mind out of your Bibles. I'm saying put your mind in your Bibles. Paul expects these things to be normative in the life of the church. Two, what spiritual practices are you tempted to hold as more holy or special than others? I think for me, uh, there's a season in my life um, where I would have placed the words um, of, of wisdom and knowledge much higher than any other expression of spiritual gifts within the church. And I did this for years. It was an idolatry of intellectualism. It was an idolatry of rightness, I would even say. And I would say the, the word of caution that many of us must receive is that if you're just worshiping rightness for its own sake, what do you got there? You have idolatry. Because you're taking that log and you're warming yourself by the fire of, of, of wisdom and you're also chopping it in half and worshiping it. And it's not the log that should be worshiped. It's Jesus that should be worshiped. We do not worship the gift. We worship the giver of the gifts. And so, Maybe you're on the opposite end of that spectrum. And it's the people that look, you, know, the, you think that the people that are most pious and holy are the ones that are like doing these, you know, three-month spiritual retreat. They haven't spoken or ate anything in six weeks. And I don't know how I'd not lose my mind doing that. But like, but they've obviously got to be empowered by the Spirit of God. Or they've obviously got to be holier than I, than I am. They've obviously got to be more blessed than I am because of, look at what all the stuff that they're doing or not doing. So I would say, friends, our status as sons and daughters in Christ Jesus, the, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Yes, the, we should seek to grow in holiness. Yes, we should seek to see certain spiritual gifts become more readily apparent in our lives. But we don't put people up on pedestals. There are no challengers to King Jesus. No, sir. There's no idolatry happening with worshiping people other than our Savior. So wherever you find yourself, too, the last question we need to ask ourselves is, what gifts have you been given? And guess what? It is okay if you don't know, because you are in the right place to figure out, right? This right here is what Paul is commending here. The church, the local church is the place where you learn what your giftings are. The local church is the place, it should be the safest place to practice your gifts. It's right here in this room with these people and like all of us are valuable in this. We'll see later that I can't say to the foot, I have no need of you. One gift can't say to another, yeah, it's not into that one. We all need each other 
hear, and that, that means that we should be called and see ourselves called to one another, responsible for one another, responsible for one another's growth, because we need to use our gifts to serve others by clearly making much of Jesus. See, the, probably the most pragmatic thing you could do, if you have no idea what your gifts are, and you're like new here, I mean, I, mean, I know this sounds like just I'm the lead pastor and we need people to serve on teams, and that's true, right? But like, fill out a connect card, jump on a team, get involved with other followers of Jesus, because as you serve, you're going to be able to test whether or not your gifts are being, uh, what they actually are. Like, the first time that I saw particular people, like, you know, exercise their gift of hospitality, and people just can't stop raving about how great that experience was, how warmed and welcomed they feel by that one person. Man, I'm like, there you go. There's your gift. Let's pursue that more. Let's work on the other stuff that you're not so great at, right? But again, on the, on the opposite side, if you think that you have this prophetic teaching gift or like in the church, and every time you open your mouth at community group, people are like, I don't know what just happened. Did she speak in tongues? You know, like, maybe something else happened there. I don't know, but I feel more confused after they started talking than I did before. Like, maybe you don't have a teaching gift. Maybe that's not the way that, like, Jesus is in, in individually empowered you to serve in the church primarily. Does it mean you, that you should never pursue that? You, you shouldn't ever Open your mouth. You shouldn't share what Jesus put on your heart. Not hardly. We need you. We can't say we don't need you. It just might not be the primary way that your gifts express themselves. See, all of this, all of this again, assumes the fact that all these followers of Jesus in the Corinthian church, they knew one another. They were for one another. They saw themselves as responsible for speaking into one another's lives and growing each other up to build one another up in the faith. And that's what we should all feel called to in this local body of believers. Responsible for one another. To seek one another's growth. Because we want to see the gifts used here. Because God graciously gives them to all of us to build up His church. Let me pray that that will be so here. Jesus, no matter... Um, our giftings, um, the ways that we feel like we're lacking or the ways that we feel like we're not. Um, God, I pray, would you bring unity here among the diversity as we have even named this series, A Church Divided, Now United. Um, God, may we be like Paul's heart and see Paul's heart uh, for the Corinthian church. Be, may it be made manifest here. Um, because it, it is your heart for your church to see things broken, uh, brought back to wholeness, to see things disjointed, be set back rightly, to see things grow together in love. God, I pray that this morning, uh, may we see ourselves uh, rightly as sinners in need of a Savior, um, as men and women who need one another um, to build one another up, in uh, rooting ourselves in the good news of the gospel that you have come to save us, to set us free uh, from our, our bondage to ourselves, right what is wrong within us, and um, help us um, serve one another as acts of love um, as this body of Christ that we've been one to. Lord Jesus, I pray that you do that today and week after week as we seek to grow in you. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.